Good morning, Mars Hill. So we've already read a little bit of our psalm this morning, um, but I'd love to just read it over us again as a group. Uh, So our reading today is Psalm 46, verses 1 through 7. If you have a shed Bible, you can find it on page 524. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in times of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The word of the Lord. Uh, The Lord be with you, friends. My name is Troy. If we haven't met, happy to be with you today. And I want to lend my greetings and um, uh, say also happy Father's Day. Thanks for being with us on this morning. Um, Hold on to Psalm 46 for a minute, okay? Um, I, I, I want to, we have tried as leadership to give you regular, uh, a regular finger on the pulse of how things are financially around here, and I just wanted to do one of those briefly for us. Again, um, we have our, our budget year runs from July to June. That's the way our ministry budget operates, so we're actually up against the end of a ministry budget, um, and so I just wanted to give you a s- snapshot of that. So uh, this is, these are the numbers from Thursday afternoon, trying to give you the most updated things that we could possibly give. We're needed 92,500. Look at this. 98,100 came in. Um, I have to say... Thank you. I have to say this. I've given, I don't know how many of these financial updates. I've never been able to say to you that we have more money than we were asking for. So this is one of those unique times. So I'm grateful for that. Um, And then the next thing I wanted to show you is we had started our ministry year with a $2.5 million budget. We've adjusted that over time, knowing that we were probably not going to make that number. So we as a staff have been operating with a $2.15 million budget instead. Instead, where we're at right now is, uh, is this right? Yes, 214, was that what that says? I got to tell you, it's always a risk to ask me to do this update. (laughs) Um, Here's what I do know. That last number that's in parentheses, which I have learned is a short, means shortfall, and some of you are like, yes, of course. Um, did you ever take a math class? Um, but that is the number that if for us to meet our estimated budget by the end of this year, that's where this, this is what we're going to be short a little bit. This is not a sky is falling moment. I'm just trying to give you a sense. This is how things actually are. Um, so because we've adjusted some things over time, it's not nearly as dire as it might have been if we were just continuing to go at the first initial budget. So 
So that's how things are. For those of you who have regularly and faithfully contributed financially around here, thank you for helping us to be faithful to pursue this mission and this vision that we care about and that we sense we continue to need to give ourselves to. So thank you. Great. Let's turn back to Psalm 46. The story goes, on a cold, rainy night in the early 1500s in Germany, a young man was riding his horse and he almost got struck by lightning during a thunderstorm. And this close call with death, it really shook this young man. And he decided immediately, I'm changing my life. And so he immediately left university where he was studying philosophy and he entered the monastery. Now, the monastery life, this solitary life of prayer and fasting and regular confession, this did not line up really well with this young man's personality and disposition. He knew it and his superiors knew it. So they sent him away. They sent him away to go teach. They ordained him to the priesthood. Eventually, he earns a doctorate in theology. And then over the next 15 or 20 years, this young man, Martin Luther, gets really worked up. He starts pounding things on doors. He starts criticizing every religious authority he can find. And he becomes this forceful and powerful preacher and leader of one of the world's greatest spiritual awakenings. Over time, he sets his hand at translating first the New Testament and then in collaboration with some other people, the Old Testament, translating the entire Bible into the language of the common person. And then he sets his hand at writing hymns and gospel songs. Because once you've got the easy project out of the way, translating the Bible, it's obvious you turn your attention to the more challenging enterprise of songwriting. Right, Delwyn? That's right. We have about 40 surviving hymns of Martin Luther. And the most enduring one is a mighty fortress is our God. We know this hymn because it comes to us from a popular English translation in about the mid-1800s. Luther, it was published in 1529. Legends tells us that Luther probably wrote it in October of 1527. And it's uh, important to know because the plague started to spread throughout Germany. And Luther writes, A mighty fortress is our God. That hymn took its inspiration from this psalm that we're talking about today, Psalm 46. This psalm has captured the imagination and the desires and the heart of people for centuries. So it's no surprise that when we said we were going to do this series on the book of Psalms and we invited people in our community via the social medias to vote what psalms would you like to see us cover, Psalm 46 was tied for the most of all votes. You'll have to come back another Sunday to figure out what tied it. But Psalm 46, even for our church, even for those who are representing this particular vote, 
People wanted to give themselves more to this. I'm really happy that we're spending a summer diving into these psalms. I'm excited for us to hear and to listen to this mixtape with fresh eyes and with fresh ears. I'm excited to see how do these ancient words find their way into our heads and our hearts. Not just individually, but how do they do that in a church? And when a song like you've written does that for us, it helps those things become more and more a part part of us. I'm eager to see how that continues to happen for us. So this is what I want to do. I'm going to do just two things. I'm going to give two insights on the Psalm of 46 at, at, at large. But the first thing I want to do is I want to concentrate on the central theme of Psalm 46. I think it's important for us to establish this at the top. So if we think about Psalm 46 in particular, like a pop song, all right? If we think about it like a pop song, it has really one main chorus, and then I guess what we might call like a secondary chorus. The main chorus, the main hook of the song, we've sung already a couple times today. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. This is like the main hook, the main chorus of the song, verses 7 and 11. Um, and it's important for us because... Um, Oh, and then the additional, there's like the secondary chorus is in verse 1. It sort of echoes verses 7 and 11. God is our refuge and our strength, an ever-present help in trouble. These three verses, 1, 7, and 11, they establish for us the central theme of the entire psalm. And the central theme is this, God's protective presence. The magnetic pull of all 11 verses of Psalm 46 is that God's presence protects his people. Hold on to that. I'm going to do this. Let me highlight a couple things about this central theme, God's protective presence. Notice first in Psalm 46 all of the First-person plural pronouns that are scattered throughout it. Okay, I know school's out. And for those of you who would say things like this, the church is supposed to be a safe place where I'm protected from things like grammar. I'm sorry, hold with me for a second. If we look at Psalm 46, there, we see a couple of words show up all the time. Our, we us. First person plural pronouns. This is important because it establishes for us very, very early that the speaker in this psalm is not a person. The speaker in this psalm is a people. This, this, it's a collective voice that's speaking here. God's people are speaking as one in Psalm 46. So it's not as much an individual psalm like we get in some of these others that we'll be looking at. This is the voice of God's people here. Because all are threatened by what this psalm is going to describe. We'll get to that in a minute. And all are protected by this gracious God. This refuge, God, our refuge and our fortress. This refuge is big enough, capable enough of protecting all all. Psalm 46, it's our psalm. 
and the longing that gets expressed at, from the very beginning of this song, this longing talking about God as a refuge, a fortress, a place of shelter. This is a common Old Testament desire. This is echoing something we've seen throughout the Old Testament. Moses, right near the end of the book of Deuteronomy, actually calls God a refuge. Fast forward a little bit to Isaiah. We get a lot of this language. Isaiah uses this interesting metaphor where he, he talks about the, the, what he calls the branch of the Lord. And the branch of the Lord provides protection. It provide, provides t- protection over God's people. And then it says that this branch uh, is a refuge, is a hiding place. And so what Psalm 46 is doing is it's taking this common desire and it's echoing it here. And it's interesting because this desire, it predates all of us. And yet, this desire, it represents all of us. That desire has not gone away. That the desire is still ours. It's before us, but it's also ours. We too want to know. We too want to experience. We too want to have the confidence that God, the God of Jacob, is our fortress. That God is with us. That God is our strength. That God is our refuge. We too want to know this ever-present help. We want the central theme of this psalm, that God's protective presence is with us to be an experienced reality, to be more than just printed words on a page, to know that God alone protects, that God alone provides refuge. And then the rest of the psalm, it highlights, as if we needed more reminders, why it is that we are desperate for this reality to be true. Uh, Last week, Last week, Ashley kicked off this summer series for us, and she suggested that one of the opportunities before us, as we dive deeply into these psalms, one of the opportunities is to be more truthful, to be more truthful with ourselves and to be more truthful with God. And I hope, I hope that's a challenge that every one of us will take on. Well, Psalm 46, this psalm, it tells the truth. This psalm tells the truth. First, it tells the truth about how things are. Look again at how it begins. We start with that secondary chorus that I mentioned before. God is our refuge and our strength and ever-present help in trouble. And then it begins to lay out the reality. It begins to name how things are. Verse 2 begins by saying, therefore we will not fear, because God is ever-present. Because we believe God is our refuge and our strength, we don't need to be afraid. And then it says, "Though, though the mountains give way, the earth give way, and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. And though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, can you feel the shift in tone? That halfway through verse 2, a psalm that started out so hopeful, a psalm that, that started out with such good news, it then transitions into a description of the whole world falling apart. It names that there is a natural chaos, mountains breaking apart, 
One translation actually says that the mountains melt into the sea. Waters are stirred up. How evocative is the phrase that the earth, like the earth just gives way. It just gives up. It's just too much. Uh, Anyone else in this room, when you read the second half of verse 2, do you feel like maybe that isn't just ancient? Maybe that describes our contemporary reality. I'll say at the very least, this past Wednesday and Tuesday and Wednesday, I thought the earth was melting. (laughs) And we may feel that for the next five or six days too, that the earth is melting. But if anyone is, if you're at all paying attention, you can regularly see examples of this natural chaos all around us. The Yellowstone River flooding these valleys in Wyoming and Montana. Tornadoes ripping through Wisconsin and Oklahoma and Texas. These torrential rains in southern China and northeastern India that are causing amazing floods and landslides. And these are just a couple from this past week. Natural chaos all around us. And then Psalm 46 also tells the truth about geopolitical chaos. Verse 6 says, nations are in an uproar and kingdoms fall. No one needs to look very far outside of your own city, our own country, to know that that hasn't expired, that that reality remains true. At every single level, local, state, national, and international, nations are in an uproar. As my favorite band in the world sings, empires crumble all the time. There's this geopolitical chaos. I really love the language that this psalm uses. Notice this, this connection between natural chaos and geopolitical chaos. The waters roar and nations are in an uproar. That mountains fall and so do kingdoms. Like everything, everything's headed in the same direction. Uh, When it says like the mountains and kingdoms fall, the Hebrew literally means that they totter. Like it's just this kind of instability that is so appropriate for the subject matter. Psalm 46, it paints a really powerful picture for us. Any one of us that has ever thought, it seems like the world is falling apart. I hope Psalm 46 helps you to feel, helps you to know you're not crazy. But I also hope that Psalm 46 helps you to realize and remember that it's always been this way. That there's always been natural chaos. There's always been geopolitical chaos. There's always been nations in an uproar. There have always been kingdoms falling apart. Things are not bad right now simply because of COVID. Or because of high gas prices. Or because one party is in office. Or because one party used to be in office. The natural and geopolitical chaos that we know has its roots much farther back than that. And yet, 
And yet this psalm so beautifully calls us, the readers and the hearers, to remember its central theme. That in the middle of all of these realities, in the middle of natural chaos, in the middle of geopolitical chaos, the Lord... The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. I have had very little sleep for two days. And the downside of that is that um, every emotion is really close to the surface. Sorry. Um, This psalm, it has a structure that mirrors our lived experience. When you look at this psalm, it has this rhythm of order followed by chaos, and then order followed by chaos, and order followed by chaos. It's like the very construction of the psalm is a picture of what real life is like. Order followed by chaos. Even in the construction of the psalm, God is an ever-present help, and the mountains are falling into the heart of the sea. The older I get, the more grateful I am that the Bible has passages like this. That the Bible has moments where it names how things really are. That the Bible tells the truth about how things actually are. When we come to the end of verse 7, which is as far as Liz read for us today, I'm left with this lingering question though. And the question is, is there more? Is there more than just this unending cycle of order and chaos and order and chaos and on and on and on? Is there more? And I think Psalm 46 truthfully answers that question too. And so Psalm 46 tells the truth about how things will be. In verse 9, it says this. He, God, makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. That he breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. It describes how eventually all struggle and our strivings will cease. One of the outcomes, one of the outworkings of geopolitical chaos, we so well know this, is conflict. And Psalm 46, it points to how things will be. And it gives us this picture of God stepping in and putting an end to all of those conflicts. One theologian wrote this. It said that God unbuilds the technology of combat. God will unbuild those technologies by breaking, by shattering, by burning all of the instruments of war. Come, Lord Jesus, come. And then we come to maybe the most well-known and well-loved portion of Psalm 46, verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. Now, uh, I don't like sermons that just poke holes in things. Sermons that say, I know you like this verse, but here's what it really means. And then makes you not like it anymore. You know these sermons? 
like to take things that people really love and then kind of tears them apart. I don't like those sermons. However, for a moment, I think this verse may be a little more nuanced than most of us have encountered. Typically, when I've been encouraged to think about and to consider this particular verse, it's been, it's been in a kind of passive way. Be still. Relax. Take comfort. Sit back. And that may be really good advice in some circumstances. But here, I don't think it's so passive. I think this is an active command. The Hebrew word where we get this be still, this is Hebrew word called rafah. And this word, it has multiple meanings, but some of what it's saying is this. It's saying let go. It's saying be weak. Surrender may be the best way of, of coming at that word. And so when we look at that, song, at that verse and we look at it in its context here as, as the psalm begins to tell us how things will be. Verse 9 has just described that God is going to put an end to war and destroy all of the instruments of war. And then we get the command, let go. Here's the way I've come to understand this verse. In verse 10, God finally speaks in the psalm. Right towards the end, God finally speaks. And God speaks to God's people. And this is obviously not an authorized translation that I'm going to give you. This is my paraphrase. But God speaks to God's people and says something like this. I am going to put an end. I'm going to put an end to all conflict between people. And all of the weapons and all of the devices that you have created to cause harm and destruction and damage, those will all be done away with. So quit it already. Quit it already. Let go of your weapons now. Drop them. Be weak now in light of my divine power. Know that I am God, you are not, and you never will be, no matter how big of a pile of guns you have. Let go. I love how I thought it would get quiet in here. I love how Professor Hopkins says it. She writes this in a really wonderful commentary on uh, the Psalms. She says, the security that Psalm 46 imagines, it's based on God's stabilizing and nurturing presence rather than on weaponry and war. This Psalm tells the truth about how things will be. And I think it begins to invite us to live that truth now. Finally, the psalm begins to describe how God is going to be universally worshipped and exalted. The chorus that is sung in this psalm 
in verses 1 and 7 and 11 that's sung by God's people, that chorus one day is going to be sung by every nation on the earth. That's good news. The cycles of chaos and order that we experience, they are not unending. There will be a day, as the Apostle Paul describes in Philippians 2, there will be a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Our prayer, thy kingdom come, it will be answered and it will be answered in the fully realized rule and reign of God. Psalm 46, it tells the truth. It tells us the truth about how things are and it tells us the truth about how things will be. And here's one of the reasons why I think this matters. Why I think it matters for us to concentrate on the central theme of this psalm and to pay attention to the truths that it tells. Um, in his new book, uh, Mark Sayers, in his new book, uh, Non-Anxious Presence, he writes this, just these two simple sentences. When we are anxious, we seek out strongholds. And when we cannot find a stronghold, we build one. Now, he uses the language of stronghold here, but I, th I think a fine synonym would be refuge or a fortress in this particular case. We are all desperate. We're all desperate for the reality of God being our refuge to be true. And yet it seems like confusion and unpredictability and chaos just rule the day. And so all of us, all of us have gotten really good at building our own strongholds, building our own fortresses, building our own refuges. For some of us, it's, for some of us, it's the refuge of comfort, comfort at all costs. For some of us, it's the refuge of a savings account. For some of us, it's, it's the refuge of Apple TV, for some of us, it's the refuge of your own intelligence. For some of us, it's the refuge of the democratic process. For some of us, it's the refuge of technology. For some of us, it's the refuge of a bottle of wine. And the list can go on and on and on. Every one of us has gotten really good at building and creating lowercase r refuges. Refuges, fortresses, or strongholds that, that they might provide a kind of temporary relief, a kind of temporary sheltering, but they can never and they will never ultimately do what we so desperately want and need. Allow Psalm 46 to interrogate all of those places of refuge that you have built. What has sneakily become where you place your faith and your confidence? What has sneakily become a place that you trust 
more than you trust the God of Jacob, who is our fortress, our refuge in times of trouble. As we turn our attention uh, to the table, I want to give one final thought about that main chorus that I brought up before in in verses 7 and 11. Uh, The Lord Almighty is with us. In Hebrew, uh, the little ending phrase there, with us, it's it's the phrase imanu. The phrase imanu. Uh, Eventually throughout the Old Testament, that phrase imanu is going to become um, more tangible. It's going to become more personalized. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 7, there's a prophecy spoken about the house of David. Um, And it says in this prophecy, it gives a promise. It gives a promise for protection. That God is going to deliver a promise. That God is going to actually give you a sign. And the sign is going to be this. That a virgin is going to conceive and is going to give birth to a son. And the son is going to be called Emmanuel. The son is going to be called God with us. We understand the prophecy in Isaiah and all throughout the Old Testament to be fulfilled in the person of Jesus. And we understand that that promise given of protection, we understand that the promise that God hasn't given up on human beings, that that promise is fulfilled in Jesus. Emmanuel, God with us. And we understand as best as we can that Jesus is present with us through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so that even now, even now when we experience natural chaos and geopolitical chaos, even now we can experience and encounter the ever-present help of God in trouble. And one of the tangible ways that we encounter Emmanuel is at the table in these simple little elements. And so I say to you, the Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. And in a spirit of thanksgiving, let's pray together. How right and a good and a joyful thing it is in all times and in all places to give thanks to you, God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. So we praise you and we join our voices with angels and archangels and with all of the company of heaven who forever sing this hymn surrounding your throne to glorify your name. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And so, Spirit, would you be present with us in an undeniable way? Would we know God's protection, God's goodness? 
through the presence of the Spirit? And would you make for us, out of these simple elements, a tangible encounter with our rock, our refuge, and our fortress? Would you feed us? Give us what we need. And we bless you in Jesus' name, amen. The story is told to us that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, that he took elements, he took bread, and he broke it with his disciples. And he blessed it and he gave it to them and he said, take and eat, this is my body broken for you. And in a similar way, he took the cup and he blessed it. And he gave it to them and he said, take and drink. But this is the new covenant in my blood. And whenever we eat this bread and we drink this cup that we proclaim, we tell again this great story until Jesus comes again. A story that we do our best to summarize with this inheritance that's been passed down to us from generation to generation. These three simple winsome phrases that we speak together. Christ has died. Christ is risen. And Christ will come again. Friends, come and take refuge here today. Come and meet Emmanuel. Come and taste and see that the Lord is good. All things are ready. Please come.